This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hey, welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we are keeping on, keeping on. We're having a good time. Sandy's been singing. We've been <laughs> dancing. We've been talking about business and social impact. We've got a lot going on. That's a pretty typical rundown of our day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then we go back to our desk jobs and we say, how do we change the world? Exactly. Or we do, something. We do some more singing. We do some more social impact. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then we also involve some of our coworkers in the office because we, oddly enough, have a good number of performance backgrounds on staff. Disproportionate. Might be some unconscious bias in our hiring. Exactly. Uh, but this is Dollars and Change, where we talk about business and social impact. And we have had a great show so far. And now we are shifting gears to speak with Dune Thorne, the head of client experience at Brown Advisory and the founder of Invest in Girls. So welcome to the show, Dune. Good morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Really great to be a part of it. We're delighted to have you. And I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You are only the second other person that I've ever met who is who has the name Dune and both are women. And both are social impact leaders. And social, both are social impact leaders. So I that I find I that love quite interesting. Hearing that, I look forward to meeting her. It's Dune Ives. She's the um, executive what? director of Lonely Whale. Lonely Whale, working with Adrian Grenier, the actor on his foundation, the anti-straw movement. Great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm particularly excited to talk to you because while I care about straws. I care more about women and financial literacy, <laughs> so um, I'll make my social impact biases known. Um, but lots of awesome work we could jump into. I think uh, the best place to start is asking, you know, what was the pain point that uh, caused for the launch of Invest in Girls? What's the origin story? Great. would love to share more about that with you. Um, so... I'd say that the passion for me really started when I was in business school um, and was really struck by the fact that half my class were women. But in the investment and finance courses, it was closer to 20 and 25 percent women. Um. So women weren't taking finance and investment classes um, in the same proportion as they were going to business school. And it really struck me that it was having two significant impacts. One was the pipeline of women going into the industry. And if you think about financial services and the industry as a whole, it's really a foundation to almost every sector in our economy. And if women who are choosing to go to business school are not then focusing on being in finance and financial services, how is that impacting the broader economy in terms of having women's perspectives at the table and part of leadership decisions and just a big believer that diverse teams create better, more sustainable long-term decisions. Yeah, and I want to pause there and just it's a great reminder folks to unpack the statistics because it's very easy to at first glance say like, oh, the the program is 50% men and 50% women or the company is 50%, 50%. Check. But then if you look deeper and you're like, to your point, 25% of um, the investment track or degree are men and 75% of the human resource management are women, then you still have some imbalances to explore. It's such a such a good point. And I think we see it in so many cases. You look at financial services as a whole and 
more than 50% of new hires going into the industry are women. But then you, as you look at kind of how, um, how the data changes as you move into more senior leadership positions, the numbers drop off dramatically when you start getting into investment roles and P&L responsibility, um, management, and leadership at companies. And it you know, goes down to being in kind of 10, 12% in senior leadership, even though the starting numbers are above 50%. So I couldn't agree with that point more. And so, Dune, you are the head of client experience at Brown Advisory and also the founder of Invest in Girls. So do these worlds interact for you or are they sort of separate? They interact a lot. And it wasn't um, – I wasn't aware of that when, we, when I started Invest in Girls. I just sort of didn't think about my day job at Brown Advisory and the work we do managing money for families, endowments, and foundation, and my real passion – at Brown Advisory in terms of making sure we are a firm that's leading the industry around leadership for women and diversity and inclusivity and creating a work environment that enables kind of all colleagues to thrive. I mean, that's my day job. But I think about, I often say, sort of the night job or my passion around founding Investing Girls was really about helping not only create core financial literacy for all girls in terms of personal financial literacy, which is sort of the second piece of the kind of common in business school is if women aren't taking investment classes in business school, how are they learning to invest their own assets and to use the power of those assets and resources wisely and well? And I'm just a big believer that we as asset owners, both men and women, need to think about the decisions we make and how those financial decisions are really creating impact in the world Um, and had a real concern with so few women focusing on this that we as asset holders weren't harnessing that power. Um, So if you think about sort of the intersections between that work with investing girls and core financial literacy and a pipeline and financial services for girls, there ends up being so much overlap um, to the work we do at Brown Advisory. And I've loved that. And I think it's it's really um, sort of enabled sort of my network and ecosystem. I think both end up benefiting in terms of investing girls and the work we do there and also Brown Advisory. And so, Dune, when you think about some of the challenges or your mission around financial literacy and girls, can you give us any sort of sense of the statistics? You talked about sort of grad school or, or business school, but, you know, what what are some of the pain points around this? Well, I'd say when you look at the numbers, you know, there's, there's so many different pieces of data, and while there may be some nuances between them, I mean, it's really striking what a gap we have around core financial literacy in general in our country. And you look at the wealth divide that's happening um, outside of even gender, we have a significant challenge that we need to solve as a society. And then when you break it down to the next level and look at it around gender, it's even more staggering. I mean, you look at, there was a study done in um, 2017 um, that 80% of women that took part of the study um, did not pass what they considered core financial literacy, um, the kind of core financial literacy skill set that was needed to plan for retirement. And if you just look at I me, mean, 80% of women didn't pass that core test. And that it's just so critical to the foundation of our country and society to be able to enable people to to work and to save money and to save for retirement in order to sort of have the core sustainability that we need in our economy. Um, And if you look at two-thirds as many women, um, two-thirds of the men that have retirement accounts, um, women have two-thirds of the number of retirement accounts as men. Sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied there. That's okay. Think about it. So that 
if you look at men and women are working equally now, um, and uh, you know a third of the women are not saving for retirement, and that's a meaningful gap, um, and that's something that we need to close. You look at you know the number of medical bills that women have are significantly higher than men. Um, so almost every statistic you look at, um, it's sort of staggering to look at where women stand compared to men around financial literacy. And if I can put you on the spot, you may not know the specifics, but um, let's see. Uh, when it comes to that that study that's saying 80% of women wouldn't pass like a basic financial literacy test or this particular one, can you give our, our listeners some illustration of like what are the types of things that you would – that are considered basic financial questions? literacy? Yeah, like sample questions or, you know, term familiarity just to kind of paint that picture. Yeah, you look at um – like some of the core pieces that are that are asked are understanding the power of compounding, sort of basic questions around if you were um, you know, to invest a dollar today, would it be worth more in 10 years? Would it be worth less in 10 years? I mean, these are basic questions, but it's understanding that kind of core principle that the earlier you invest and the longer that those investments can compound and accrue and grow, um, it makes a very meaningful difference. If you look at you know, saving for the first 10 years that you're out of college um, has sort of the biggest impact long term in your retirement. So that basic power of compounding is really important. And then understanding kind of how debt works is another really important one. If you look at just think about the number of credit cards that um, you know, information people are receiving in the mail, and do they really understand how interest rates work? Do they understand how credit cards work? Um, I think that's uh, kind of a core area that we see very significant gaps around. And then I'd say the other piece is understanding kind of risks of investments. And if you think about the difference between stocks and bonds and the risk profiles of those different types of investments and what a gap there is in understanding in terms of understanding what a stock or an equity is versus a bond or a fixed income instrument. Um, and that may seem sort of basic to many listeners, but these are core principles that if you don't understand, it's so difficult to think about building a long-term retirement or financial plan. Absolutely. And I just want to take this moment, because I take this moment any chance I can get to remind our listeners who aren't familiar with that term and think, oh, shit, I would have been one of the people who failed that that quiz to say, take a deep breath. Like, you can educate yourself. There are steps that you can take you know, very practically, because you don't know it now, like don't keep opting out and not uh, engaging in in your financial future and your financial literacy. Um, so, Dune, do you have advice? I was I'm wondering if Investing Girls has you know tools they share. I know there's a great blog, um, so that if folks are listening and their heart is racing because they don't think they know what they need to know, where, where do they go? You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a good point. And I, what I find, um, and I'll think about here some kind of good resources direct people to, but I think there's one interesting piece of data that um, came from when I was at Harvard and doing research on how women and men think about money differently. And I think it this is one way of answering your question that's really interesting to me. So when we, we surveyed a couple hundred um, um, 
participants in the survey. And one of the key differences we found between where men and women go for financial information is that men tended to go to expert sources. So they would go to a book or they would go to a website or a resource that was seen as expert. Um, when they were asked a financial question they didn't understand, women would tend to go to someone they trusted, which was often a family member. Um, it was interesting. It tended to be a male family member, to a brother, mm. to a father, to an uncle. Um, so the trust was the number one sort of differentiator for women in terms of where they'd go to for financial advice. What then struck me is when you went one layer deeper on that, um, that when you then asked that brother, uncle, cousin, father that you went to for advice, what was their background? And they often had backgrounds as um, you know, policemen and lawyers and teachers <laughs> and a whole range of different wonderful careers right. that are not finance. And so that, I, I, that's what we're trying to do in Investing Girls is create trust and expertise together. And we look at if you create trust and you have knowledge and expertise, that sort of in-between space between the two is where wise decisions are made. And so what we want to do is try and take the expert sources and combine it in a trusted environment where girls can really ask the hard questions to help them make wise long-term decisions. I'm just slow clapping. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering how how that shows up. Oh, my goodness. This is just my favorite thing to talk about. I'm wondering how that shows up for you at work. Like, how are you taking that knowledge of women want the combination of trust and financial acumen? Because I've long told Nick, like, someday I'm going to open a shop that's like, uh, therapists, financial advisor, masseuse, child care, like a full suite of, you know, support, because I do think it's you can't silo money, especially for women, because it's such a it's such an inter, you know interrelated piece of their lives. So how do you take this this knowledge back to your work at Brown Advisory? And how are you seeing or hoping financial services evolves to sort of meet the, fina- the, the female investor where they are? Mm mm-hmm. Well, let's start that company together. Yay! Okay, sorry, Nick. I believe is the right <laughs> She cut me out <laughs> someday. Um, oh, um, I just love that. Love that vision. Um, so I'd say one of the key um, pieces we talk about here at Brown Advisory, and I would say is a real challenge in the industry as a whole, and, and, and the market goes through cycles, but I think what really struck me being part of the pullback that happened in 2008 is that the financial services industry lost the trust of are the, the typical investor or American citizen. Sure. <laughs> and it was that trust, when that, as soon as that trust was broken, um, you felt like the sort of dialogue between the financial services providers that, frankly, you know, m- most of us need. I mean, most of us need partners to help us think about building long-term financial plans and our retirement planning. But when that trust was broken, the dialogue stopped. And so we're big believers that we have to rebuild that trust and that we have to rebuild that dialogue because we can't develop thoughtful long-term financial plans if we don't have that good dialogue with our clients. We don't understand what are their needs and goals, what are the things they care about, what are the events happening in their life they need to be planning for, how comfortable are they with certain types of investments or certain risk levels. If they're not communicating, if we're not asking the right questions and they're not openly communicating with us in their answers, we're not able to build thoughtful financial plans. So I think you really have to start with listening and really getting to know each client on an individual level in order to build a thoughtful plan. 
And I think the financial services industry, frankly, has turned um, itself into sort of a product-pushing industry that's about pushing those products onto clients opposed to really listening to clients and understanding what do they need and how can you develop solutions based on their needs because it's the client that matters. And that's how we're going to change we look at how are we going to create a more sustainable ecosystem in our economy 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be about creating a core financial, strong financial base that can enable entrepreneurs and business owners and all these different sectors to thrive and do well. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, and we're speaking with Dune Thorne, the head of client experience at Brown Advisory and founder of Invest in Girls. And folks, this is the time. This is the time to call in, you know, I have a lot of questions. Sandy has a I'm lot of questions. I'm not going to let anyone call in because I'm going <laughs> to talk to two. So this is an opportunity to say, like, maybe talk about a challenge you've had with your financial advisor or you've you've really hesitated to pull the trigger on sort of making those plans for retirement. So give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And, and Dune, I'm curious. Um, one of my... <laughs> All of my hot topics are coming up today, but another big passion point for me, and this work I think I still need to do at Wharton, is um, as we think about inv- uh, impact investing, um, uh, you know, I always say, you know, the the old saying is don't talk about sex, religion, and politics at the dinner table, and you sort of can't talk about impact without those topics coming up. It gets very personal very fast. And so I'm wondering, you know, it sounds like all of this work you're doing around understanding women as investors and um, preferences and trust also sort of butts up to that, you know, how are we seeing an evolution around advisors talking about impact and educating themselves to have that trusting, more personal relationship that so often comes with impact investing with their clients? And we do see a very high correlation between women and their interest in impact and sustainable investing as well. So, are you seeing the money move to bring up? You know, we really are. Three quarters of the new business that we've had at Brown Advisory here in our Boston office in the past two years has been driven by our sustainable and impact investing work. So, we really are starting to see the money move. And that's where the impact's created is by actually putting capital to work in alignment with those values. Um, so I, I feel like there really has been a shift in the past few years that that's really exciting for us. Um, but I, uh, why don't I just pause and see if there's a, I could talk about impact investing all day. So let me know where I should start. I, I there are so <laughs> <laughs> start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, but I do think you know, Sandy, this was your question. Yeah. No. I mean, yes. Um, so the so my the question I just asked about is the money moving is really in response to, you know, seeing these surveys about millennial uh, investors and women investors who have a who care more about impact, um, mm-hmm. and I've been very curious and sort of on the edge of my seat about if these surveys will actually if if people actually move their money. Um, so, you know, that sounds good on paper, but we'd also all say we exercise five times a week and drink the right amount of water and all the other things you say when you're asked that question. Um, so I'm just, you know, I was curious what we're seeing around is the, is, are people actually moving their investments to where they say they, they will or like to. It might be helpful to sort of touch on is that I think when people use the term impact investing, I think the first thing we go to is 
through direct private company investing in wind or solar or renewable energy. And those investments are not only sort of difficult to diligence and, um, and hard to access, but you have to be at a certain wealth level to be able to access those investments. And so I think in many ways that's made this idea of impact investing much more difficult for the typical investor. And what we've been really focused on at Brown Advisory is we do a lot of really interesting work in that space. But we're really thinking about how can we first start with listening to each investor and really understand what impact means to them. For some, it's about fossil fuels and renewable energy. For others, it's about gender diversity. Um, for others, they're really interested in health care or health and wellness. There really are a lot of different definitions, and it's important to first start and really understand what it means to you. But then we look at what are the baby steps you can take, because it's a journey that you're on. It's not that you're an impact investor or you're not an impact investor. I look at it as more of a commitment to align your investments with your values, and then how do you start taking one step and then another that's going to help you reach that goal. And there's so much you can do, you know, really any investor almost any size can do around aligning their fixed income with their values. I mean, green bonds and impact-focused bonds, I mean, you're looking at the same credit risk, the same interest rates, um, so comparable bond portfolios. You're not giving up any returns, and you can have your bonds, which are a meaningful part of many people's portfolios, aligned with your values. And then you look at core U.S. equities, and there are some great solutions now, you know, through mutual fund vehicles or through separate accounts, easy-to-access vehicles where they're using sustainable, what we call um, sustainable business advantage research, really looking at how companies are increasing revenues, are reducing costs, are increasing brand loyalty and customer loyalty, and enabling companies to financially do better because of how they're thinking about sustainability. And those solutions, many of them are outperforming traditional benchmarks. My colleague here, Karina Funk, has been running a wonderful strategy, um, Brown Advisory's large cap sustainable growth strategy, that's outperforming traditional benchmarks and doing it through the sustainable research. And that's you know, there are vehicles now like that that you can really do both, have the values alignment and not be giving up returns, which, frankly, I think was a debate for years. And now we're sort of moved past that, which is an exciting time for the industry. And, Dune, I'm I'm thinking about um, some of the statistics that we've heard around the the kind of ongoing wealth transfer, you know, to millennials, but especially women. Um, and then thinking about either Brown Advisory or maybe the firm that you and Sandy are going to start. Um, and, and if you have women coming online, inheriting wealth or, you know, even not even like tremendous wealth, but just like, you know, they're, they're now they're, in control. Of exactly. Um, and they're thinking about where they go. It's it's not about shrinking and pinking, right? Like that branding <laughs> around it. It's not making it like soft and feminine necessarily. But how would you signal how that like come to us? This, you know, we're we're aligned with you and we're, you know, going to listen. We're going to build that trust. How might you do signal that to potential clients? Hmm. I, mean, I would say what women want is what all what all, what all of us want, which are thoughtful, good investments that will help them meet their goals over the long term. So. I don't think as much about how do you market or signal to women as much as I think about how do you do just a phenomenal job investing and help a client meet their goals. But that's the kind of core piece that's important. And I think where it becomes relevant around gender is that that trust conversation we were having earlier, which is that you really 
just have to build trust. You have to let, I think so many women in particular have felt like the trust has been broken from so many advisors, that advisors aren't listening to them. They're listening to their spouses and, and husbands and, and, you know, not stopping and really listening to the women's perspective when it comes to the portfolios and investments. So I'd say, how do we signal? It's really being good listeners. Um, and it's prioritizing every family member um, when we think about a family's planning. And it's making sure that we're focused on the client's goals and what their needs and goals are, not what ours are as the financial firm they're working with or the investment advisor, that it's really client-driven. And if you put the client in the driver's seat and you're their partner to help them meet their goals, um, you can help them navigate. I would say sort of that's the best way to build a good long-term working relationship with your advisor and for us as advisors to do the right work for our clients. And Sandy, was it you who had a personal experience or maybe a friend or someone Mm -hmm. that you knew, like they were with their advisor and like with their husband Mm -hmm. and they, the advisor sort of just like mostly spoke to the husband? It was. It's someone we know, but you and I both know. I won't mention the name on air, but yeah, they were the, uh, the female, the wife had um, it was largely family wealth of hers that were, was comprising their assets. And um, she would ask a question and the advisor, male advisor, would look at her husband and answer the question and be like, great, you know, great question, Joe, we'll say hypothetically his name was. Um, and that was the end of that client advisor relationship pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. And so, so unconscious do- biases coming out um, in those in those situations. Yeah. And, and so, Dune, I, I, I was when you were saying you have to you know, talk to the whole family or really, you know, consider Mm -hmm. the whole family that that came to mind. Well, it's also just, you know, business wise, I'm thinking about it's very easy to, I'll be extremist here, ignore the wife or ignore the children if the, you know, 60 year old male is sort of the head of of that family's finances. But that's not always going to be the case. And we're seeing a lot of flight um, of next generations uh, from their current advisors. It's like I heard 82 percent of next gen, of, of inheritors switch advisors. Yeah, you, you see the data between sort of 70 and 85 percent, and you look at it as the Achilles heel of the industry, right? Yeah. But that if, if 75 to 82 percent of your business is going to turn over um, when there's a divorce or a family member passes away, I mean that is that is very hurtful to the business. So I look at it, again, going back to the crossroads of impact investing and working more effectively with women and next generation, it, it's a way for us to be a better business. And for us to be a more sustainable, impactful, long-term business is for us to really build relationships with the whole family, with the spouses, both female and male, with the next generation, that that's how we can be a more sustainable, better firm over the long term is by doing that really well. And we're you know, really proud of the work we do in this space. And I, you know, I think we hear a lot about the importance of um, working with next generation and with women in the industry. But I, I often feel like there's a lot of talk about it, but not a lot of firms mm-hmm. doing it really well. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, because there's some interesting data around the spending habits of families where you have like high, high net worth or ultra high net worth. And I always think, God, if you're not talking to the woman as the advisor, you're also missing some very yeah, 80% key. Eighty percent of the cash flow in a family exactly. tends to be through the women. Exactly. So if you're only talking to the man and saying, well, "What are your, you know, what do your expenses look like?" or you know, "How do you foresee what does retirement look like to you?" It's like hopefully there's an aligned answer, but talking to both people might get you closer to the mark. 
And, and it's also so interesting how goals can be very different for different family members. You can have a very close, cohesive family, yet they're very different goals, very different comforts with risk. Um, you know, we see often. Ooh, when, you don't you have know, to tell me about that twice. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So both Nick and I have. The family passes away. Oh, sorry. Let me pause. I was just saying, Nick and I both have husbands who are like seven and. Five, how many, how many seven years? and ten years, seven and ten years older than us, respectively, and so we're actually different, like generational groups. And so we talk sometimes about how it's interesting to see, even though we, you know, by your thirties and forties, you all feel the same age. There's a different psychology to money between us elder millennials and you know, and the next gen. So. Now, there's a great book on that um, that I just talking about, and it, this is one of the first times we've had four generations in the workplace, and you know, how the different working norms um, mm -hmm. between generations interact with one another. Because every generation is sort of a reflection of the generation before. Um, there's sort of an evolution to kind of where those generational norms come from. And we're now in an environment where we need to work across four generations really effectively. And I look at it as we build our team at Brown Advisory and the importance of us thinking about a, a multi-generational team. But I also think about it in the way we work with our clients because our clients are, you know, spanning from, you know, just being born, right, to um, being over 100 years old. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the name of that book? I am. I okay. knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> and it's, it's at the tip of my tongue. I'll see no if worries. I can Google it. We'll follow up. If you I find feel... it, you can tweet us or shoot us an email and we'll, we'll yeah. tweet that out. I feel like we also do, do an OU, a, uh, a follow-up segment in the coming weeks to talk more deeply about Invest in Girls because we sort of took the impact investing part of your experience and ran with it on the show. But uh, investing in girls is a fabulous organization that I want to make sure we give it the airtime it deserves. And so, June, I guess in our you know our final couple of minutes here, you know what what is the future of invest in girls? And we also had a caller really want to know you know what other resources are out there. Where where could you point people to learn more about invest in girls and also just probably broader financial literacy and retirement planning. Good. Well, um, Invest in Girls, our website is investgirls.org. Um, so if you head to our website, you can, one, learn more about the organization. And, you know, we are just a big part of our work is um, attracting different volunteers who are women in the industry that are willing to volunteer their time as teachers and role models, which is a really important part of the program, but also um, to access resources in terms of, you know, what are some of the sort of uh, the best resources to turn to for core financial literacy. Um, so uh, if you have any questions on that, please head to our website, investgirls.org. Um, but the, the program, in terms of the first part of your question, in terms of where we're heading, this has actually been a very exciting sort of last 10 days for investing girls in that we've, um, we have a nine-year history. We've grown from starting with just a beta group of 10 girls to having almost 5,000 girls in the program now um, from Virginia to Boston, so mostly on the East Coast, and our mission is to work with all girls and make sure this program is available for all girls across the country and hopefully internationally at some point. Um, and we've just announced in the past week um, a partnership uh, with the National Council for Economic Education that has affiliates in all 50 states and will enable us to bring our program across the country. So we're really excited about that and excited about the impact um, we'll be able to have um, in this combination with National Council for Economic Education. That's terrific. We're so excited for your future growth. And I know Sandy and I are really jazzed about, you know, your work in general, and we, we hope that we can stay in touch and learn more. So thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Dune Thorne, the head of client experience at Brown Advisory and the founder of Invest in Girls. 
This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.